Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Throughout history... Men have formed clandestine clubs where rich young aristocrats would meet and indulge in drunken orgies, gambling and carousing. Few clubs have attained so much sensationalism as the Hellfire Clubs established in Britain and Ireland in the 18th century. Their history has lived on through the remains of these clubs, which are now major attractions open to the public. In our most recent trip overseas, we visited the Hellfire Caves in West Wickham, just outside of London. What happened at these venues is the stuff of legends. Made-up stories of the very worst kind, or real experiences that only the very rich or very famous could savour? Of course, what went on was bound by a secret oath. This was, after all, the ultimate men's club and there were no rules as to what sort of shenanigans went on. But why then would these places now be haunted? Are we just keeping the legends alive or are there really ghostly goings on at the Hellfire Caves? Let's go underground and find out more. But remember, what goes on underground stays underground. Hi, I'm Renata. Hi, and I'm Anne. And in this week's episode of True Hauntings, we find out if there is a reason why the Hellfire Caves near London, England, have a reputation for being haunted by more than seriously bad (laughs) behaviour. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. <laughs> Didn't think it was that funny. And welcome to this week's episode, everyone. Hi, Renata. We're back in studio. Oh, I had to leave that in there because it's, that your joy was just abounding. <laughs> I, I must have really just tweaked the Hellfire <laughs> cave button on you. Sorry, I just found that hilarious. <laughs> Could have. And we have, we were there less than a week ago. We were. Oh, did you like it? I liked it. It was not a holy hole. No, it was not. <laughs> but it was indeed a hole. It was a hole. It was a big hole and, in the ground. And it was under something holy. It was. Which we will find out about. Well, yeah, but the, the gentleman that created the caves also created what was on top. Oh, like right. it was the icing on the cake. Yes, it was the, the mouth and the... The piece de resistance. <laughs> They're very wicked. Yes. Uh, yes, so we have now been to the Hellfire uh, Club in Dublin. Yes. Just outside of Dublin. Mm-hmm. And now the Hellfire Caves. Caves in London. Yes, I think there's more Hellfire oh. stuff to be... To be so, had? To be had, Ooh. yes. We have to find it. There's still Hellfire Clubs around today, but I think they're um, 
at pubs and clubs and things like that and people get dressed up and do all that sort of stuff. But I wouldn't really know about that. No. I don't attend them. So. Not at all. I'm speaking out my butt. <laughs> <laughs> so how's your week been, Renata? Uh, it has been full on. We hit the ground running, didn't oh, we? Oh, boy. Uh, we literally yeah. landed, did not have time to recover at all. No. We were back in studio doing recordings uh, and um, – yeah, trying to pick up the pieces before we head off to uh, Melbourne. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, we'll be back in the plane this time tomorrow mm-hmm. and heading down to the old Geelong Jail mm-hmm. with Deb and the team from Twisted History. Mm-hmm. Got some yep. workshops and things down there. Yeah. And then we come home next Tuesday and then Thursday we head back down to Sydney yep. to fly out Friday morning to Norfolk Island. Yes. And in between then and... Now and then, we've called, still recorded another episode of True Hauntings. <laughs> we're getting there, though. We're doing good. Yes. We're, um, I'm quite impressed. Yes. Were your puppies happy to see you? Oh, kind of. Was kind your, of. Was your husband happy to see oh, you? Oh, yes, he was. Yeah. Good yes. work, Arik. Good yes. work. Yes, I didn't get to see my husband for a few days because he was away working, but we did eventually catch up with each other and... Sadly, I'm heading off yet again tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, with ships that pass in the night. But luckily, he's very. I find him very supportive of the work that we do. So I'm I'm lucky that way. All right, shall we get on with the show? Yes, absolutely. A British spinster had a life-changing experience after being attacked by the Hellfire Caves' Randy Ghosts. In the early 1980s, a lady friend of the Dashwood family was visiting West Wickham Park in Oxfordshire and asked if she could see the infamous Hellfire Caves. The 60-year-old spinster was so keen to see where Sir Francis Dashwood, the originator of the Hellfire Caves and his cronies, had enjoyed their drunken orgies. She had been told of the ghosts and the phantoms which were said to wander the passages of the labyrinth. She dismissed these obvious attempts to dissuade her from entering the caves and brushed it aside with a laugh. She added that she would walk the darkened passengers alone, armed only with a torch. She was, by all accounts, a fiery woman, not given to flights of fancy. She had remained unmarried and had always eschewed the company and pleasure of many male admirers. In fact, it seemed she was something of a prude. As the lady proceeded into the cave, she soon reached what is known as the Banqueting Hall, a vast cavern carved out of the chalk and used by the members of the Hellfire Club for their drunken dinners. It was also the place where the members practised their devotions with their female companions. As the fearless spinster looked about her, she had a most, and one might say, life-changing experience. In the dark shadows, and without warning, she says she had the unmistakable sensation of countless invisible hands touching, caressing, and fondling her body in a most amorous and sensual fashion. From head to foot, the unseen hands explored her plump, curvy figure, probing in places which the good lady had never been probed before. Terrified, she at once fled, shrieking from the chamber and back to the entrance. Never again would she venture into such an evil, immoral and godless place. However, some years later, it became known to the Dashwoods that following the spinster's frightening but sensual encounter in the caves, a change had come over her. Whether it was the randy attentions of the ghost of Sir Francis Dashwood or the drunken, lecherous groping of his phantom disciples, we will never know. But, totally out of character, the spinster decided to thrust off her prudish shackles and disdain for the pleasures of the flesh and began to court the friendship and pleasure of male companions. Three score years of celibacy were abandoned as a dormant sexual awakening burst into life 
and she became a raving nymphomaniac. Where'd you score that story, Anne? <laughs> oh, my God, we made it through. <laughs> oh, I was biting my tongue. I know, especially at the word spinster. I thought she's going to have words about the world. Oh dear. It came from Spooky Isles originally. It was published in December of 2018 and it was written by someone called Eddie Brazel. Mm. Now, I don't know whether Eddie has a vivid imagination or whether this is a true story of the spinster who's now a hornbag. Uh, so, um, how's that for a great soundscape? Wow, I think that's, yeah, I think this might be an R-rated episode. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should have warned the mums and dads out there, don't play this one in front of the kiddies. Yeah. Too late now. Yes, yes. You can explain to them what nymphomaniac means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one. Mm. Oh, I'm excited to hear the stories on this one, Renata. Oh, lordy. This was one of those, you know how um, those caves that we went into mm-hmm. uh, and uh, each kind of, you know, walkway down took you down a level deeper yeah. and a level deeper. Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> every, every twist and turn Into opens depravity. up. Yeah, opens up um, a whole lot more of stuff that um, you kind of go, oh. And, and then I found a a, a book um, that was written by Jeffrey Ash, and it's called A History of Anti Morality. Ooh. Um, that sounds like nice bedtime yes. reading. Or the Hellfire Club's A History of Anti-Morality. Uh, I, I bought a couple of books yes. about the Hellfire Clubs um, and haven't had a chance to read them yet, but oh, they oh, fascinate no, me. That, it's a bedtime story. It is a bedtime story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me get into this um, and let me tell you a little bit about the the back history oh, of this please place. do, Renata. So West Wickham has been around since ancient times and may possibly have had an Iron Age fortification on the hill overlooking the village, which I thought was very interesting. But its royal claim to fame comes from the caves that were built in the 18th century by Sir Francis Dashwood. Dashwood, isn't it? Dashwood, I love that name, Dashwood. (laughs) Um, Now... As the local landowner, he owned the village and his own huge estate was right next to the village. Mm -hmm. So he had a view, obviously, of what was happening around the area. And look, each village um, was having issues in those times because of bad harvests. And uh, if you've got a lord of the manor looking after, you know, the people... Um, that are on his land, mm. he wants them to do well. Yeah, you've got to look after them in good times and bad times. Yes, yep. So he thought he might get them um, active and keep oh, them occupied. Are going to do an aerobics routine or what? <laughs> keep them occupied and look after their welfare. So he decided to improve the road between West and High Wycombe. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the old road ran along the valley bottom and had become so deeply rutted um, that carriages frequently turned over, especially in wet weather. Oh, my heavens. Yeah, so the new road, which was on a straight line to Wickham, was also intended to provide a three-mile vista of the church tower capped with its glittering golden ball on top of the hill. Oh, and now I made you take a photo of that. that yes, didn't we? we did. So it, it still remains remains today this this road that takes you in to Wickham mm-hmm. um, and you do you literally drive straight down yes, it and you can see yep. it up on the hill in front of you absolutely we'll, we'll put that photo up that you took yeah absolutely so he paid local farmers a shilling a day which was a decent wage for the time uh, to dig out the chalk hill and use the flints and chalk to pave the road linking the two towns now when you say chalk you mean like chalk that you use on a drawing board chalk chalk yep, yep. Yep. So many of the new landowners at the time were creating large estates and building impressive houses, and they were adorning them all with the latest fashion and artwork. So it became kind of a mine's bigger than yours thing. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that leads to all sorts of things with the Hellfire Club. <laughs> it does. But if you think of it that way, you can understand why the Dashwoods Mausoleum, mm-hmm. which is up on the top. We never got up there. It was, is this hu- it well, was another hill. Yeah, and, and really... <laughs> When I when I uh, read through uh, 
TripAdvisor accounts, mm-hmm. people will say, there's really nothing to see up there. Mm. Like it's this huge building, but it's, yeah. Yeah. It's nothing to see. It, I think it was a distraction to the real stuff that was underneath yeah. it. Yes, yes. But, 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 but um, Dashwood had a bit of an issue with his next door neighbour, Lord Temple, uh-huh. uh, and it really was. Right. I, I'm, I'm building a bigger thing than your bigger thing because my, my bigger thing. bigger than your <laughs> my, thing. My bigger thing needs to be more impressive. And I'm right. going to have a gold knob on mine. <laughs> Oh, 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 yes. Oh, yes. Now, the thing about Dashwood was not only was he building things above ground, but he was also building things underground. Mm. Naughty boy. Now, this actually goes back um, to when his father, Sir Francis Dashwood, was You're a child. you saying this is all because of father issues? Of course. Um, the family had already... Uh, often made expeditions to the caves that were there. So there were caves already oh, there. Right. Yeah? And so uh, Lord Dashwood uh, kind of knew about these caves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bit of information when you go to um, the Hellfire Caves page, there is an extensive history, an extensive history. So I'm just going to read a little bit Yeah, we just um, want the juicy that. bits. Yep, yep, yep. We do love our history, but we just want the juicy bits. <clears throat> so whereas many of them were creating all sorts of amazing wonders above the ground, yep, he was uh, above the ground. Uh, he went underground to, you know, do the cave thing. The key to the heavy oak door, which was at the end of the brick tunnel at the entrance, was kept by a Mr. Fryer who lived in the house opposite. Mr. Fryer charged a few pennies, in return handed over a key and some candle stubs. Sir Francis' father... Sir John Dashwood had stipulated that part of the proceeds was to go towards the upkeep of the church. Good on him. Although the caves seemed to have been open to visitors ever since they were built, it was really only the locals who knew about them, and they attracted few and were in a terrible state. The entrance was protected by the remains of the original iron railings with barbed wire filling the gaps. Oh, lovely. The flint-faced arch and columns over the entrance tunnel had been knocked down at the beginning of the war on the orders of the estate's land agent to form a barricade to protect the villagers from a bomb blast as the caves were intended to be used as an air raid shelter. Ah. So no maintenance work had been carried out in the caves themselves since the 18th century. The main passage was littered with small lumps of chalk and in one place was half blocked by huge boulders that had fallen out of the wall. So it was a mess. That's also a concern that... There was huge boulders, and we're walking through there. Yeah. Uh, look, it's it's certainly been shored up by then. Oh, I hope so. <clears throat> now, Sir Francis formally reopened the caves in 1951 at a charge of one shilling and with candles provided free. A wave of publicity ensued and visitors started to roll in, especially when the local vicar, Father Allen, told the Daily Mirror that... My tummy wobbles like jelly every time I pass the entrance. Is that a paranormal thing or is it just he's had one one cream bun too many? I don't know. That's bizarre. Right. So he followed this with a sermon denouncing the evil influence which emanated from the caves. Oh, so he's the one that's declared that they're evil. Sir Francis took exactly the opposite view. If there was any evil in the caves, he felt it would soon evaporate when the place was subjected to the eyes of crowds of sceptical visitors. The worst solution was to bottle it up by keeping the cave shut and lending credibility to such stories. Yeah, and that was the very beginning of Mm. the ghostly tales of the caves. Now, the Dashwoods actually um, owned the village for a very long time, but put it up for sale following the Wall Street crash, and it was bought by the Royal Society of Arts to preserve ancient cottages, and in 1934 it was handed over to the National Trust. Ah. Mm. Now, the Hellfire Club itself, it was an exclusive membership-based organisation for high society rakes, Mm -hmm. first founded in London in 1718 by Philip Duke of Wharton and several society elites. Now, he was a pretty powerful man, 
and uh, he was wealthy. He was a writer. He was a Grand Master of a Premier Grand Lodge of England. All this has got to do with the Freemasons, let Mm. me just say this. Um, And he led a double life. So up above ground, he was a man of letters. And in his pants? (laughs) In his pants, he was a drunkard, a rioter, an infidel, and a rake hell, which is a man who was habituated to immoral conduct such as womanizing and wasting his fortune through acts of gambling and debauchery. (laughs) (laughs) So Wharton's club was considered a satirical gentleman's club, even though women were also purported to attend. Mm -hmm. But I think their position was um, not to be kind of club members, but to assist in the debauchery. Assist? Is that what you're going to call it? Assist in the debauchery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So they, the- they, women were not treated um, as equals no. at all. No, no. They were there for a purpose. So, yes, absolutely. So the club was reformed by Francis Dashwood and he named it the Order of the Knights of Sir Francis. That's... that's Although the club also went under the names of the Brotherhood of St. Francis of Wye, the Order of the Friars of St. Francis of Wickham, and the Order of the Knights of West Wickham. So many titles. So many titles. They're weighed down with those ones. Well, you you never have one when you have that much money. St. Francis is the patron saint of animals. I don't know if I like the idea (laughs) of them using him. (laughs) Oh. Now, Dashwood commissioned the construction of a complex series of tunnels and chalk and flint caverns. So he extended and um, renovated the caves that were already there and made them into this um, kind of really erotic, exotic um, connection of little caves. And you see a picture of it. You you actually have a picture of um, all the entrances and exits Mm -hmm. um, of the caves. And and they they reckon that it could possibly, maybe, possibly, possibly, maybe, 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 possibly, possibly, could be, have something to do with um, a woman's body. Oh, really? Mm. Oh. All right, mm. keep talking. Right. So each of the case chambers are connected by a series of <coughs> narrow passageways uh, consisting of the entrance hall, the steward's chamber. Chamber. What did you just <coughs> swallow Pardon a frog me. or something? <laughs> the Whitehead's Cave, Lord Sandwich's Circle, Franklin's Cave, the Banqueting Hall, the Triangle, the Miner's Cave, and the Inner Temple. <laughs> Don't wear sticks. Did you get sticks yes, in there? Yes, yes. The latter of which was accessed from crossing a faux river, which means that the river was created, uh, oh. meant to represent the river sticks. That uh, I can just see them all getting dressed up, lined up to use the boat to cross oh, the river sticks. Oh, they dressed up. Yes, they and, dressed up. But the river up. sticks is is like um, what three feet wide, a meter wide, mm, <laughs> something like <yes>. that. <laughs> yes, yes. And look. It, this place attracted all of the richest men mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. like honey to a naughty. bee. Honey to a bee. Yeah. So there were many rumours of black magic, satanic rituals, orgies, uh, and notable English writers like Horace Walpole uh, oh, stated <laughs> that practice was rigorously pagan. Bacchus and Venus were the deities to whom they almost publicly sacrificed and the nymphs and the hogs' heads that were laid in against the festivals of this new church sufficiently informed the neighbourhood of the complexion of these hermits, so he says. But they're taking paganism and and twisting it to their their own... Yeah, that's... mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and guess who kind of rode on the coattails of all of this? Who? Alastair Crowley. Oh, of course. Yes. Alastair Crowley. Because yep. the, um, the, the motto um, was of the Hellfire Caves was then used back by Crowley. Uh-huh. Which was? Do as thou wilt. Yes. Uh, whereas Wicker will say, as long as it harms none, mm-hmm. he didn't have that. No. No. <laughs> Um, okay, let me see. I want to get to the saucy bits. (gasps) I like that. Barbecue? Okay, so the first Hellfire Club was set up by the Duke of Wharton and specialised in daring deeds like playing cards on Sunday. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, wow. wow. Reading Lucretius and eating pigs. 
pigeon. <gasps> pigeon? Known as Holy Ghost Pie. Oh, because it's a picture of the, 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 in the, the Trinity. They've yes. got the, the dove. Yes. It looks like a pigeon. Yes, so, yes, oh, yes. they're eating the Holy Spirit. Yes. And this was chronicled in the Hellfire Club's Sex, Satanism and Secret Societies by Evelyn Lord. Mm-hmm. The most notorious club was formed by Sir Francis Dashwood with the motto, Do As You Will. Uh, Dashwood's club included some of Britain's most senior statesmen and aristocrats, and they met in a series of underground tunnels. Um, West Wickham, and legend has it that they indulged in a lot of risque behaviour and the, with the strict proviso that said, what goes on underground stays, stays underground. underground. <laughs> now, there was an interview with the BBC UK and uh, they talked a little bit about this. Uh, and again, his club was called the Monks or Friars of St. Francis. So there are a whole lot of different names that are associated with this particular thing. Now, later, there were some suggestions of ritual abuse of women and black masses. But maybe people had a bit of an axe to grind and they were spreading rumours. Now, there was a, a young lady called Aisling Tierney from Limerick and she did a PhD uh, in Bristol on the Hellfire Clubs. And uh, part of what she did, and I bet you I bet you, she enjoyed every single second of this, was to untangle the rumour and the gossip from the truth. Mm. Of How do you do really that today, on. though? And this, the, I mean, it's... What three hundred years ago, all of this has happened. Yeah. How do you untangle the truth from the the gossip? Mm. Because I reckon that they were quite happy for the gossip to spread and let people think that there was weird things going on down there and devil worship, so that nobody came near them and Abs- they left them alone. Absolutely, absolutely. Now she was um, interested in all of this because she came across a copy uh, in an old secondhand bookshop probably in Wales, <laughs> of Geoffrey Ash's Hellfire Clubs, A History of Anti-Morality. Yep. Um, and apparently that was so saucy that she couldn't leave it alone and she really wanted to know whether all of this was true or not. Oh. So the clubs apparently appeared in waves, first in London in the 1720s, then in Dublin and in Limerick. Ah, oh, so Limerick. So we haven't... We don't know whether the Limerick one is still... We'll have to look into that. Yeah, ...is still there. Uh, and then Dashwood's Club was in the in, uh, 1750s. So people associated them with what was going morally wrong in society. There were parties, revels and prostitutes. There was sexual energy and drinking, she Jeffrey Ash's account of the Hellfire Clubs is probably about the nearest that um, we come to the British equivalent of the excesses of the Marquis de Sade. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what she says. Uh, and we have to remember that the inheritance of all this curiously dangerous playing with occult fire was passed on to Lord Byron. Mad, bad and dangerous to know. Even on a budget? Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Mmm. Sounds like a, a fellow that many of the ladies may have been out with at some stage or other. Yeah. Now, Francis Dashwood and his secret society uh, were known politely as the monks of Medenham. What? Medin, Med, Medmanham. Medmanham. Oh, well, it sounds like the Knights of Ne. <laughs> <laughs> I want a shrubbery. <laughs> uh, and they got up to naughty activities and they were accompanied by nuns. Oh, no. You see, that, she's doing the nuns, fingers in the air. And nuns, that, that yes. was a slang word for horse. <laughs> Oh, can I use? Can I please use this in modern day techno? Oh, look, Renata, there's some nuns walking down the street, oh. and they were dragged in from um, London brothels to make things go with a swing. <laughs> My God, these naughty, naughty men! Oh, so there were strange rituals and initiation rites, um, and um, she mentions this this connection and comparison to Freemasonry. Um, but the Dashwood madness could lead on to violent and erotic spectacles, which at excessive levels came near to killing certain of the participants. Oh, oh, oh that sounds like those ones where they they hang themselves whilst having a bit of a. Woo-hoo. <laughs> I want to know more. Please tell me some details, some of these things that they were doing. Now, Ash uh, mentions the um, French ambassador to Austria in 1727, and he was a notorious womanizer. Now, he was spotted riding in Vienna after sunset with a black lamb on his knees. It was assumed that um, the ambassador was proposing to sacrifice the lamb at the full of the moon in order to increase his virility. Thank heaven for Viagra, which has certainly decreased the need for black lambs in this country. <laughs> had they at least had a, a lamb roast with the end of uh, all of that? Sorcery was in the air, Ash notes, in this fascinating book, which reads almost better than vintage Dennis Wheatley. <laughs> Uh, the Comte de Saint-Germain was busy convincing people he was really 2,000 years old, oh, and some no. of them believed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like my my spirit guide is Cleopatra. Oh, God. Yeah, God. And so it went on and on. Edinburgh had at least one club that arranged packs with the devil for its members. Old Nick obligingly turned up for a rendezvous with the curious in Jack's Close Cannon Gate. Like somebody turning up in a Santa suit and pretending to be Santa? Yeah. They turned up as Satan? Uh, Alan's close or Carradine's close. What the devil said to those who met him and what they said to him is not recorded. Well, there Mm. you go. Um, There were several hellfire clubs in Ireland and one of the best known was Limerick, where a band of rakes were known as the Dublin Blasters and were in the habit of receiving guests stark naked, (laughs) often remaining... (laughs) This this is what we found in Dublin. Uh, Often remaining longer than usual in the doorways of their townhouses, shrieking with laughter at the discomfort of their visitors and continuing to stand there as a show to the people passing by. I could just see them going... Making things jiggle as they come to the door. Hello, whoop, whoop, there it goes, wiggly jiggly. You have nowhere to look, would you? Not back then, as well, in I polite know. society. Some of the ladies where, would never oh have seen gosh. a wang in their life. 
says, when Rakehells die, their ghostly coaches apparently still rattle around the Irish countryside, naturally with headless drivers. Oh, of course. They oh, terrify, I've, got head, I've got a headless story. <clears throat> they terrify the living and produce instant mortification if you look at them long enough. Oh, I'm mortified. Now, in a period where the lewd novel Fanny Hill blurred the boundaries. <laughs> what? Fanny Hill okay, Fanny blurred Hill. the boundaries for many between what was natural sex or perversion. It was logical that the extension of those social concepts would continue to the blur distinction do blur the distinctions between white magic and black magic. Because you weren't supposed to enjoy sex. It was just yes. something you did. And um, the ladies particularly weren't allowed to enjoy sex. Thank God things have changed. Right. Um, so all of these foundations laid the groundwork <coughs> for Francis Dashwood's Hellfire Club at Medmanham. And it was like the Golden Globe was the shining beacon that led people <gasps> to the Hellfire yeah. Club. Here it is. But it was what was next to it that was the most fascinating thing. Yeah, well, anyway, we won't talk about that. Why not? That's a, that's I love it. All right, keep going. So Dashwoods lot were known as Franciscans. Too much money, too little sense. <laughs> uh, there was a great deal of wine drunk, some of it from Skulls. Oh, and the, where did they get the skulls from? We don't yeah, want to know. Oh, yeah. Actually, I do know. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the motto over the theatrical Gothic cloister, specially built for effect with nicely trained ivy, <laughs> was <laughs> a slight modification of words taken from the Abbey of Thelema, uh, um, which is what do what you will. It yep. was a phrase adopted by Alistair Crowley, which we know. Yep. Uh, and when he began to play with black magic, um, and yeah, he took over a lot of these things. So you can see the influence. Oh hell yeah! Um, of Crowley. Mm-hmm. Um, or by, the, the Hellfire. By, yeah, by yeah. the Hellfire yeah. Club people. Um, so in romantic literature, occult and anti-moral, uh, and the anti-moral uh, was adopted by Byron, who reinforced hellfire pro- uh, philosophies by flirting with Satanism. Uh, yeah, Dashwood may have had political influence in high places, but his hellfire carry-on at Medmenham uh, was really rather crude and predictable. There were phallic statues, frolics on the river after dark with the nuns and the monks. <laughs> Gallons of wine which left people much more the worse for wear and whatever the 18th century used for dope. <laughs> and Wh- obviously, wacky weed. Yeah, and, and obviously there was a lot of dressing up, not to mention dressing down or abandoning dress altogether, <laughs> but much is heresy and firm fact is often unobtainable. So this is all from this, um, this uh, gorgeous uh, lady's PhD. Yeah. That would have gone down well. Oh, you mentioned with a reading professor. That. Oh, but the the whole thing with the Hellfire Club is that they were uh, anti-religion, yes. and this was a way of um, blaspheming. Yes, and it was secret, and they were hiding. And um, they actually had built a church on the top of that hill where the Golden Dome was. Mm-hmm. With the Hellfire Club, with all the debauchery directly underneath it. Directly underneath it. And that was them um, just really showing what they thought of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I looked uh, at a aerial photo of it the uh, today and there is a cemetery, sorry, a graveyard because it's attached Mm -hmm. to a church, Mm -hmm. at at the side of the church. so guess where they got the skulls from? Oh. They've obviously dug them up. Oh. Or they've dug up into the graves. Mm. 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 Look, it was also a way, I think, of giving themselves permission to act really badly. Oh, of course. Uh, you know, it was, it, it was a, a blokey thing and they acted really, really badly. And, of course, yes, doing it directly... Um, Underneath a church and um, beyond the view of the the locals. Yeah, um, we heard a lot about this when we we're doing the London Hell, the the Dublin Hellfire Club, um, <coughs> and how rumours spread within the township um, when all of these beautiful coaches and carriages would appear with mm. um, all of these, you know, very wealthy to do men in these little out outside villages. Because, like we, I mentioned on the way, it's a long way from London. It is a long way. You know, not by car, but by carriage or by horseback, it would have been a long way from London. So they didn't want certain people to know what was going on. No, 
Not at all. But let's get on to the ghost stories. Oh, yeah. The ghost stories. So there, I, I noticed when we went through the caves, um, you, you sort of walk down and there's little alcoves off to the side and there is a main um, big area that you hit first. The banquet area. The banquet area. And it's like a round area and off to the side, a little, um, little caves that have been dug out. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that the... Um, the Hellfire members would receive their concubines for the night in each of those little areas. Mm-hmm. So whoever was in the, that hall would have been very aware of everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. So I can see that there would have been orgy. Then, then you head down a little bit further and there's that, that very last cave with that big statue in it. Yes. Um, and that was only for the highest ranking of the Hellfire Club, if I remember correctly. But there was uh, a man whose name is Paul Whitehead. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, part of the Hellfire Club. He was a steward. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently he haunts the caves. And the reason being is that he was supposedly, he has left £50 to Sir Francis to purchase an urn for his heart Mm -hmm. to go into. Mm -hmm. And um, his heart in this urn was to be left in the Dashwood Mausoleum. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1829, Whitehead's heart was stolen by an Australian soldier. Now, those dates don't line up for me. Mm-hmm. 18 I reckon that must be 1929 possibly but anyway it's said that his heart was stolen by an Australian soldier and the urn um uh hang on so the Australian soldier and the urn was placed in the caves for safekeeping so the this soldier has taken the heart and left the urn I don't know what's going on there, but it's something to do with an Australian soldier. They'd be right. They'd go down there and do all sorts of <coughs> And if anyone things. knows any information about who that soldier is, can you please send us a message? Yeah. I wonder if he got haunted. Because, you know, if you take things without permission, you get haunted, they mm. say. Oh. Now, they've got a mannequin of um, this whitehead fellow yeah. in one of the caves. Did he have a whitehead? He did. Yeah. <laughs> he did. But it's said that his ghost is haunting the tunnels of the Hellfire Caves, eternally searching for his missing heart. Oh, dear. Oh, you just yawned, did you? <laughs> my, my stories are great, obviously. Um, <laughs> now, there is a, there's another famous story of the White Bride. She's, well, she's, she's uh, some sort of lady dressed in some sort of white thing. We were reading these on the wall when we were down there. And this is supposed to be Suki. Now, Suki was uh, uh, working at the local pub. She was supposed to be about 16 or 17 years old. She's a barmaid at the Georgian Dragon. Uh, and this is in the late 18th century, so the late seven, 1700s, uh, said that she fell for the charms of a gentleman who was passing through the village. Was he playing cards and had cloven feet? Mm-hmm. Seems a familiar story, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Um, and the local lads got a little bit upset because they had their eye on the pretty serving girl. They thought she was a bit all right. So what they did, the buggers... They gave her a message which was supposedly from this handsome gentleman and uh, sent it was sent to Suki at the tavern, instructing her to meet him in the caves at night. Oh. A little dalliance. Uh, so she dressed up in her finest white dress and entered the caves, only to find that the message had been a hoax and planned by these three jealous boys. In anger... She threw rocks at the laughing lads mm-hmm. um, and they responded. And they responded by throwing rocks back at her. But one of the rocks knocked her unconscious. So she was secretly brought back to her, to her room at the inn. And the next morning, she didn't turn up for work. And they went up and they found that she was dead. Oh, no. So she must have been concussed. And you know what it's like with concussion. Um, If you've got any sort of bruising or bleeding on the brain, that you've got to 
be right on top of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she was found dead the next morning. So her ghost is said to walk the corridors of not only the caves, but of the Georgian dragon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, in 1969, an American tourist staying at the George was intrigued by the story of the ghostly barmaid and wanted to sleep in her room that mm. they found her dead in. Uh, partway through the night, he awoke with a start as icy hands were placed on his forehead. When he turned on the lamp, the feeling went away and the room was empty. Then he noticed a pinpoint of light near the door, and as he watched it, it grew in length and width. It had a strangely opaque, pearly quality and would vanish when he switched the light on, only to reappear when he turned the light off. Oh, weird. Yes. Mm. So he decided he would you know, be brave and went over to the light, but as soon as he reached it felt the most intense cold and he couldn't breathe and his limbs felt heavy. Um, suddenly the illuminated form moved towards him and he leapt back in terror onto the bed, turning on the light as he did so. And again, that strange shape vanished. Now, this is reminding me of what happened to you mm-hmm. in the New Forest yes, pub. Yes, yes. Mm. Very interesting. So you saw a, a shady, shadowy figure that moved across the room it and was, through a wall. No, it wasn't a figure at all. It was a panel of light. Yeah. So exactly like that, a yeah. panel of bright light, yep. which didn't shine outside of it, so it didn't illuminate the room. It was just illuminated within itself. Right. And it passed through um, the, the wall. wall. Yep. And then after that, a darker or a mistier grey panel appeared and did the same thing. And she didn't wake me up to look. No. Anyway, um, Suki is apparently also seen looking from the windows of the win win in, uh, waiting and pining for her lost love. God, she had him many months. Get over it, girlfriend. Um, Well, she did, didn't she? Look, this probably was her kind of thought of, this this is going to get me out of this place. That's right. She was trying to move up in the world and that was her her big moment. Um, She's also been seen in the 1990s by the landlady at the George. Um, She entered one of the rooms, saw the apparition of a young woman with a sad, lost expression sitting by the fire. A few moments, uh, the ghost turned to look at the lady and then just faded away. So sad. Yeah. All right. Now let me find you another one. Now, you mentioned um, the headless horseman there at some stage or a headless carriage driver or something like that. There is – so West Wickham is actually quite an active place. It's not just the pub. It's not just the caves. There were five teenage girls in 1995 that were camping near the woodlands of West Wickham Hill. Uh, It was about one o'clock in the morning. Um, They were awoken by the sound of what they described as howling which seemed to surround the tent. Now, the girls listening were terrified. They said it was a guttural cry, went on for several minutes before suddenly stopping. Then they, uh, the, they followed the sound of the howling. So not only was it the sound of the howling, but um, there was these lights that lit up the tent as well. Now, they were extremely alarmed at what was happening. Two of the teenagers plucked up enough courage to pull back the flaps. <laughs> Are you laughing, Renata? Why are you laughing? You're a dirty girl. You've been reading too much about the Hellfire Caves. All right, so they pulled back their flaps. (laughs) You didn't have to do that. Yes, I did. You did not. This is Anne here. I had to do that. And as soon as they pulled back their flaps, the light stopped flashing. Playing it. No wonder it stopped. Now, the girls decided at this stage that they um, had had enough of that and then the terrifying (laughs) howling started up yet again, but there was nothing to say why there was this noise. Um, Then the trembling teenagers clung to each other for comfort. That would have been terrifying. (laughs) Absolutely terrifying. Um, And all at once they heard the heavy thud of a horse in full gallop coming towards them to the young women's astonishment and terror. From nowhere appeared the apparition of a headless man riding a white horse which sped across the field close to where they stood. The girls watched, clutching the flaps, open-mouthed as the horse and rider continued up the hill. 
Even though they could hear the sounds of the hooves on the earth, the white horse seemed to be galloping a metre above the ground. Oh, how terrifying. Mm. I think the girls may have been on the mushrooms, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so just as quickly as a speeding horse had appeared, it vanished into the darkness and the sound of the hooves faded away. Oh, they quickly packed up their tent and went home. I they, love they, that they, story. They fled. So, yeah, so that was a good one. Um, and it just sort of matches up with your story about the yes. the headless... yes. Yes. Uh, thing as well. Right, okay, there's another phantom that's been reported wandering in the West Wickham Hills. Um, uh, the ramparts of the ancient Iron Age fort is to believe that of Paul Whitehead. Okay, well, we've had him before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's apparently in the caves, in the urn, and in the woods. Um, the spectre has, they're assuming it's him. Mm-hmm. So the spectre's been seen waving and beckoning from the trees uh, and also outside of the house. So he's getting around. Um, the music room of the house, West Wickham House, is also said to be haunted by a lady in white who is thought to be the grandmother of Sir Francis Sir Francis Dashwood. She's seen what he's been up to and her <laughs> spirit has rolled over in the grave and said, oh, I can't rest. Um, you'll also be pleased to know there is a phantom ghost of a monk mm-hmm. because there is oh, no, gotta be. there's <laughs> got to be, be a monk. Um, but just remember, we do have the monks that were in the caves. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the real monk who was mortified. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, apparently, there is Noel Coward, not his ghost, but he stayed at the house and gave a recital in the music room. And as he played the piano, he saw the figure of a smiling monk watching him with tippy nonchalance and uh, the least hint of alarm. Coward continued his song to the end, where after he smiling, no doubt appreciative brother, disappeared. Poof! <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, Renata. My apologies to you all that, that take offence to that word. Um, I meant disappeared. Yes, I know. Dig your hole. Just dig your bloody hole, woman. <laughs> You meant the magic. Magic, where they go, poof. (laughs) That one. That one. All right. I I think I've got another story here. Hang on. (laughs) No, you're going to wheeze instead. I'll pause this till she gets herself together. All right. So I found my other story now and she's got herself together. Um, There is also the apparition of a man in 18th century clothing Mm -hmm. that's been reported roaming the caves. A young girl. So this is an eyewitness account. um, Visiting the caves, became separated from her friends and found herself alone in a deep part of the labyrinth. It's not really that much of a labyrinth. It's it's sort of straight down with a few things off to the side. And as long as you walk uphill... Mm -hmm. You can't get lost. Um, Not seeing or hearing any other person, she began to feel lost and frightened. And of course, as soon as you start to feel lost and frightened, the atmosphere changes. (laughs) uh, Becoming cold and dim. But it's dark caves. How can you tell? Feeling that she must find her way to the exit, she quickly returned along the passageway, which she seemed to ascend towards the entrance. Good girl, as I said, head upwards. She had only gone a short distance when she became aware that someone was following her. Turning around, she saw the figure of the man in the 18th century clothing standing some distance away staring at her. Mm. Mm, he Were might the mannequins been... there at that stage? There's mannequins everywhere. <laughs> as they faced each other, the young woman said she felt in no way threatened by the man and assumed he must have been one of the cave's living history guides. Yet, as she looked, the figure gradually faded away but look the the caves come uh, became well known when of course the ghost hunting tv shows turn up Mm -hmm. so ghost adventures went in there and um they hammed it up a bit in there Mm -hmm. i don't think they found a great deal but uh, most haunted went in and of course we do like a good yvette fielding and uh, derek akora story Mm -hmm. um they spent the night in the caves and reported numerous paranormal experiences including the sounds of crying babies and stones hitting the gates. Now, apparently there's stones being thrown as a thing for these caves. If you remember backwards, we had the story of Suki, Suki. throwing yeah. stones at the yeah. boys because she was angry. Yep. So um, that would be uh, your explanation for that one. 
So would you call that poltergeist activity mm-hmm. or is this an intelligent spirit that's throwing stones? Hmm. Mm. But guess what? Um, oh, they, they, they saw orbs on Most Haunted. And Derek claimed to sense a young girl dressed in white. How amazing. As well as numerous women dressed in nun's habit. Uh, oh, oh. Well, we know what the nuns were there for. Mm. And I, he must have read the history of the caves as well. Mm. Bless you, Derek. Oh, dear. So the, the problem with poor old Derek Acora is that once you've been caught faking it, they assume everything you've done is mm. now fake. And it may not have been. Mm. He may have been on the money, but that pressure to perform is always there. Mm. Now, that I, I've just told you some of the stories. The, the thing is, this is... <sighs> How can we prove that there's really ghosts down there or not down there? Now, you found in the caves yourself, you picked up on a ooky spooky bit, didn't you? There was one particular point where I stood um, and I tended to stop all over the place just to see what I was sensing or yeah, feeling. Yeah, we got separated. Yeah. And there was one spot where I felt very uncomfortable and I mentioned that to you you I said I I came across a spot where I felt extremely uncomfortable and I was there just long enough to kind of go yeah I am feeling uncomfortable here so it wasn't kind of this random moment I felt really uncomfortable and then I moved on Mm -hmm. but beyond that I literally felt nothing down there yeah I felt one part where I you had to step into that final cave and but I think it's just because you know that this was the inner sanctum this mm-hmm. was the the temple mm-hmm. um and if anything was going to go really bad that's where they would have done it mm-hmm. in that part there mm-hmm. um so i think it was more my imagination and look the walls are very damp mm-hmm. everything's quite wet down there yep um and it's well lit now they've got nice mood lighting yes yes um you are kind of going through the tunnels and making way for other people to pass yep. so they're th- busy th- you know they're not they're not terribly um Big passageways. Nope. Um, There's lots of mannequins there. Yep. That you know, if you see shadowy figures, it's probably mannequins. Yep. The voices travel down the corridors too. We found it difficult to do any sort of recording down yeah. there without um, other voices or people yeah. uh, interfering. You'd have to hire the caves. And look, yes. this is something that we've now learned after um, doing our trip: is that if we want to do any sort of work, we need to hire the location out. Yeah. And we need to be a lot richer. So yes. if you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, please search for Anne and Renata on Patreon and become a supporter. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. But um, is it haunted? Um, it's difficult for me to say a yes to that. Uh, you certainly I, picked I up on some sort of energy I, I down did, there. I did pick up on something. It would uh, I would relish the uh, opportunity to be there um and do an investigation yeah. without other people being there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I wouldn't feel comfortable down there anyway because it's an enclosed space. Yeah, you don't do so well with that. So I, I don't do really well with that. So my senses are heightened anyway being mm-hmm. down there. But um, the only way to sort of discover anything is to actually be down there on your own yeah. uh, and do a proper investigation. I'd love to do an EVP yeah. session down yeah. there. Other than that, I, I have to kind of say no at this stage. Yeah. I don't think there well, is certainly, anything. certainly got the basis for a good haunting. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if everything went on that they said went on down there, um, it, it certainly layered in all that emotion and um, eroticism and mm. all that sort of stuff. Mm. So I think it's got the possibility to be a good haunting, but we need to investigate it properly. Absolutely. Anyway, thank you everyone for joining us on this week's episode of True Hauntings. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review. We'd love a five-star review, as long as it's five out of five and not five out of ten. We love your reviews. And Absolutely we are love them. loving the messages you guys are sending through. It warms the cockles of our hearts and uh, we will be back next week with yet another episode so thank you for joining us remember to stay spooky and we'll see you on the dark side bye thank you for listening to this episode of true hauntings if you like the show give us a five-star rating and leave a review subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you're listening right now For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, 
Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 